three, two, one. Hi and welcome to Unaware by Bee Physiology. We're not film critics, we're not philosophers, and we are not living with a disability. We do, however, have a very unique insight into the lives of the people that we work with. You're listening to Be Real, Series 1 of the Unaware Podcast. Hello everybody and welcome back to another episode of Unaware by Bee Physiology. My name is AJ. And my name is Harry. And we are Bee Physiology. This is Series 1 titled Be Real. You probably have the gist of it now, but we're going to explain it to you again anyway because that's what we do. Harry, tell them what, tell them what we're talking about. We're going to be breaking down particular characters and events from new media such as TV shows and movies, but mainly movies. Uh, and we're going to actually relate them to our professional lives with exercise physiologists and we're going to see if things actually check out. If they actually make sense. Cool. I like that. And to us. Right. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. And maybe to you guys as well, because we want you guys to be involved as much as possible. So anything you hear, anything you agree with, disagree with, please get involved. Like, comment, share, um, all those things. We're going to hit you up about it at the end of the potty as well, because you'll still be here. Um, but so It's a change in the season, AJ. You know what that means? Beanie time. New merch. Yeah. New merch from BP. Got that. Fluoro heart. It's really glowing. You know, It looks great. Yeah, it's fantastic. You look fantastic. So yeah. comfortable. Also very warm, so I'm definitely going to take this off. Well, I think... At some point. Anyone that's lived in Brisbane knows how harsh the winters can get. So oh, to have a beanie and a long sleeve jumper... Talk about it being less hot. Oh, <laughs> <Yeah>. my God. <laughs> So, what are we getting into today, AJ? Uh, well, we are going to be covering the movie The Diving Bell in The Butterfly. But before we do go into that, I just want to remind you guys that we're not experts. We don't uh, know absolutely everything that we're talking about. I mean, we're certainly only going to give you information that we are confident with. But mm -hmm. by all means, if we do say something incorrect, we welcome any feedback. Mm -hmm. um, but we also, we don't live with a disability. So, um, like, yeah, obviously we're not philosophers. We're not trying to break down the lessons of the world or anything anything like that, but we do have a very unique perspective looking into the lives of the people that we work with as exercise physiologists and take the lessons that we learn to apply to our profession and our everyday life. Nailed it. I love it. All right, cool. Well, let's get into the movie. So like I said, today is the diving bell in the butterfly, which I can't tell you which year it was released. I'm going to say it was 2007 as I look off oh, into the distance. Really good memory. <laughs> yeah. You know, staring off in the distance really suits your memory, hmm. I think. Um, but The Diving Bell and the Butterfly, it is actually based on a true story, uh -huh. which I didn't know, as I probably have mentioned for like our other movies that were also based on a true, true story. Yep. Um, but yeah, it's based on a true story about uh, Jean. 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 Jean-Dominique Bobby. Bobby, good work. You have to say it like that either because it sounds like John-Dominique Bobby. So, <laughs> and if you're French and you're listening, we're not like that. You know, we'll try our best. I've actually got a little game for you, AJ. Cool. Does it involve boobies? Because uh, there were a few in this movie, actually, now you know that we're what? thinking back. Any movie worth its weight in salt and being French has to have what? Boobies. Correct. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right, I'm going to show you some names. I'm going to get you to pronounce them for me, okay? Okay. <laughs> All right, second one there. Uh, Henriette Bernard. Butchered it. Uh, next one. Really? Oh, yeah. Claude Mendebil. Mendebil. Give me that thing. Okay. Was that good? Henriette Durodent. Claude Mendebil. 
That's how you say the names, okay? okay. And it's Jean-Dominique Bobet. <laughs> So just because we you know we're stickler for pronunciation, we're Italian now. <laughs> just because we're a stickler for the pronunciation of things, because we always pronounce things right in this podcast. One thing that people really, you know, seem to be mentioning a lot: how good we pronounce names. <laughs> yeah, that seems to be the feedback. Well, this is actually our second international movie, so, um, and I've been claiming to a lot of people that we're international film buffs. So. <laughs> We should get the names right. I should get the name right. I apologize in advance and for the past as well. Well, I mean, we're Australian, so. G'day. We'll try. <laughs> we'll try our best, you know. Cool. Well, Harry, what is this movie about? Because I think we mentioned yeah, right. some character names incorrectly or correctly. It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. We're moving on. So the diving bell and the butterfly essentially follows the plot <laughs> of, it's a true story about a man who suffers a brainstem stroke. We'll go into that a little bit further later on. And what that does is causes a... It causes a uh, condition called locked-in syndrome. And what that is is paralysis, meaning motor, so movement and sensory paralysis from pretty much everywhere except the eyes and a vertical movement, so up and down movement of the eyes and eyelids. Yeah, yeah, definitely eyelids because eyelids. obviously he blinks. Yeah. Um, but can you explain to everybody quickly why that's the case? Why is it that or how is it that somebody can lose function of their entire body, lose sensory innovation of their mm-hmm. entire body, mm-hmm. but not their eyes? So, oh yeah, good point. So if you think about it, if you like going through university and, you know, school or whatever, you... An image that I always see in my head is like there's the floating brain with the cerebellum brainstem and then the spinal cord going down. But usually on a lot of the diagrams, there's two eyes popping out of the brain uh, with, this, with the optic nerves attached to the brain. And essentially what's that, is that saying is it's actually a part of the central nervous system. The eyes are a part of the ser- ser- uh, central nervous system. Come on in. Come on in, Brent. What do you got? Oh, wow. Thank you. We're just talking about Ooh. the central nervous system. What do you got? <laughs> <laughs> That's for season two, Brittany. <laughs> what a lovely lady. Um, yeah, so the eyes are a part of the central nervous system. And, and a lot of people say that the eyes are windows into the soul. And a lot of people say that the soul is the brain. So the eyes essentially are a part of the brain. So if you have damage to a different part of, um, to a different area of the brain, that doesn't mean it's going to affect the optic nerves. Well, the brainstem is inferior or, yes. or below, the, below the eyes itself. So yes, yes, you can have an effect to the brainstem without yes. affecting the eyes. Yep. So that is the gist of the, well, not the gist of the movie scene, essentially what Harry's going on about there. Mm. Or what you're saying there is that this locked-in syndrome affects the entire body, but still our character, Jean... Jean. Jean. <laughs> I love it. I'm overthinking it now. Uh, Jean still has, um, you know, the, the, the ability to function using his eyes or, well, let's say communicate. Yeah. Um, a very difficult way of communication, but we'll get to that in a sec. How about we go over, um, you know, for people that don't really know a lot about strokes, because, you know, he did suffer a stroke in the brainstem, as I said before, but there are different types of strokes. Yeah. And it's worth pointing out if you leave uh, this podcast and watch this movie um, and you'll probably figure this out for yourself anyway, like we all have a pretty, I suppose, um, 
just plain understanding of what stroke is. Like when you think of a stroke victim, you kind of think of it the same way, which is the droopy face, the one-sided um, function. Uh, this is a pretty, let's say no more than pretty. This is a sort of as hectic as it gets. Yes. Yeah. Like, I don't know if there's a level above this and they actually point out to it in the film where um, he says like, well, basically because of uh, like advanced resuscitation techniques, that's the reason why you're alive. Like if this had happened, I don't know, maybe like 50 years prior. Yeah. Like there's just no, there's no surviving this, but <laughs> basically they've been able to keep this person alive. Mm. Um, well, not this person, Jean. Jean, yeah. Jean. A real person too. Yes. So he's actually um, based on the publication of a book that Jean, so this is a movie about the life written by Jean in his book, Jean, in his book in 1999. That got released in 1999 by the same name, I think, Diving Bell and the Butterfly. So it's just like a very interesting way of telling his story, I think. And, you know, we'll get into that in a second, but types of strokes such as the hemorrhagic strokes, which yep. are bleeds in the brain. Well, can we take it back for a second there? Yeah. And can we just say that essentially what a stroke is, regardless of what type it is, it's an occlusion or a blockage or a loss of blood flow to an area of the brain. Mm -hmm. uh, so blood is, is, it's basically essential for the life of a cell. And we're yep. talking about brain cells. So when the blood flow is occluded, when it's misdirected, whatever reason, um, the result of that is either cell damage or cell death, and that is essentially what stroke is. That's the yeah, that's the a, overall definition of a stroke. Yeah, and if you're breaking down the different types of stroke, hemorrhagic stroke is the bleed. The ischemic stroke is the block. Yep. So if something, if you have an, a block, so a buildup or ethyl, ethyl, atherosclerosis or plaque built up uh, in, you know, in a artery that builds up. It blocks the artery, the brain, the cell, the neural tissue needs oxygen to survive. Right. So if you block off the blood supply that carries all the oxygen, everything downstream. Right. It's a wall in the middle of your river that somebody's just chopped in basically, or yeah. maybe built over time. Once the wall is built, no water goes through. There is no more wall downstream. There's nothing to it. So it dries up and, essentially cause cell, causes cell damage first and then that leads into cell death over time. Like it, it's all very time dependent. That's why uh, identifying stroke is so time dependent. Yeah. 100%. If you can get on top of it as quick as possible, you're in better shape than someone who doesn't have the medical treatment as soon as possible. Well, you've, we've all heard the acronym FAST. Yes. So we should probably touch on FAST. Yeah, that might be a big part yeah. of my job. So yeah, F. Well, we're here. Is for face. Face, yes. Face. So if you notice droopiness on one side of the face, that's the first sign to look out for. Mm -hmm. A. Uh, A has to be arm. Arm, yes. So weakness in the same on the arm Drop, on the right side. Dropping down the same side. Yep. Uh, uh, where are we now? S is speech. So slowed speech. Yes. And speech. T is time, time, which is like hurry up and do something call, about it. Call the police. Seen the three signs of police. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Woo. -woo. You, yeah. As soon as you see, if you essentially if you see a drop in the face, it's always a good. Even that first safe. thing is to call the ambulance yeah. straight away. Uh, because by the time an ambulance can get to you, like that, like the time is so important. Yes. The, the difference between one minute and two minutes could be could be huge. I'm not saying yeah. that it's a minute to live or die, but could be. Um, could yeah, be literally maybe. could be. Um, so back to the types of strokes. So we had that uh, ischemic stroke, which is the blockage. Then you have a hemorrhagic stroke where the actual artery wall breaks and blood spills out into the brain tissue. Yep. And essentially 
blood is all through the body. But if it's not in the arteries or the veins, it causes or in or other areas where it's supposed to be. If it's outside of where it's supposed to be, it causes damage to cells and death to cells. Yeah. So a hemorrhagic stroke can be pretty significant because you're going to bust open a, an artery wall, blood's going to spray into the brain and cause damage, and also you're not going to have the oxygen from the normal blood flow downstream again. So yeah. it's like it's just been diverted and everything, it floods a village somewhere and then the other village doesn't get any water. That's just an analogy I'm going That's with. That's a good analogy. And here, it's a good analogy. <laughs> it's like are. you've... You've really honed that in from <laughs> yeah. somewhere. No, that was really good. There is also one more as well, which I suppose we don't want to forget, uh, which is a transient ischemic attack, okay. which is essentially a warning sign. You can get the same thing with respect to a heart attack as well. So, so mini strokes as well? Uh, yeah, mini stroke. Mini yeah. Stroke, yeah. So a mini stroke, uh, which also could be the name of a rapper. <laughs> oh, good rapping name. It's a little stroke. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, <laughs> so, uh, transient ischemic. So, transient? Trans. Transient. Transient. Yeah. It's like having that block we were talking about and it only lasting a small while and yeah, then it dislodges it feeds through the and the blood can continue. And then you might have to go in and remove that blockage or that piece of plaque or whatever. Uh, but essentially, you don't have the full cell death of, you know, or, or cell damage yeah. downstream. Yeah. Uh, but this particular uh, stroke, I do believe... Actually, one thing I wanted to touch on as well is uh, an, having an aneurysm. Yes. So a lot of people are like, oh, he had an aneurysm and yada, yada, yada. An aneurysm essentially is just like in a blood vessel again. Like if they're... Say the one part of the wall becomes weak and it kind of balloons out. It's basically like a blood blister it, on the outside of a blood vessel. Is right. that an easy way of describing it? I guess yeah. it's sort of like a big bubble that pops up on the outside. Right. And it pops quite easily. I wouldn't say quite easily, but it, it yeah. certainly well, is at risk of popping. And that's very hemorrhage. Yeah, right. Okay. So yeah. because it'd be so thin, the str- it'd be stretched out if something blew out the side of whatever. It's now thin membrane and it's easier to break. Well, you can get um, aneurysms that form behind plaque as well. And when we talk about plaque, uh, we're talking about cholesterol. That's like one way to, to build up plaque. Yeah, so yeah. it is... If you've been told that you've had high cholesterol, which I know a lot of people do, uh, it's not something to... Um, I suppose, think of too lightly. It is uh, really important that you sort of make a lifestyle change at that point because yeah. um, the consequences are more dire than just having high cholesterol. That's not the label that we're too concerned with. It's the consequences of having high cholesterol yeah, yeah. and, and it, high blood pressure. And Yeah, exactly right. Yeah, two massive, um, massive indicators of your risk of having a stroke. Um, you know, but cholesterol and stuff, there is the good and bad cholesterols and everything like that. Obviously, we're not going to touch on that today. But it's a, always a good idea to go and get checked for those levels and see if you're at risk. Very important. Yeah. Okay, so back to the movie, Jean-Dominique has a brain stem stroke. And essentially what that means is it affects both sides of the body. Uh, the damage is, you know, it's not, uh, it's not uh, isolated to one side of the body. It pretty much paralyzes, as I said before, everything except the eye movement vertically and some eyelid movement. That's and, it. sorry, we should point out as well, and cognitive function because the brain itself isn't damaged. The brain stem is, yes. but with the brain itself not being damaged, mm. uh, your faculties are all there. Yeah. So, like, you understand everything that's happening around you. 
um, you just aren't able to move your body. You can still hear. Sense things. You know, you can um, still hear. You can still hear and see things, obviously to a limited degree with the movement of the eyes, but uh, it's called locked-in syndrome for a reason. Yeah, the movie actually does a really good job of um, portraying this as well because a lot of the movie, or at least the initial part of the movie... It's like the first third of it. Yeah. Really. It's like, yeah. It's shot uh, as if you're looking through the eyes of Jean-Dominique Bobby himself. Um, And it's crazy, actually, because the... Um, the very first... Oh, my God. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> what? Wait, can we put up that picture, a picture of that cat hanging on to, like, the power line? <laughs> just hang in there. Brittany! Uh, I'm a bit trapped in here. I'm just going to soak this up with my... And holy on apologies. No, yeah, we're good. Well, I mean, I don't know who's responsible for that. <laughs> Could have been either of us. You know, it's that Greek with <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure I've said right at least six times as well. Oh, shit. Sorry. Oh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, Um, yes, please. If that's okay. No, no, no. I'm all good. I don't, I don't <laughs> want a second chance. It's all good. Oh, <laughs> no, I want to, I want to be. All right. What? That's brutal. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think we're still recording everywhere. And three. Out. Out. Three. Okay, and apologies for that little intermission while you were away. I scalded my coffee and got rid of the got rid of the class. <laughs> no, that's why. That's why there's no cup. Drank um, it right off the table. Yeah. <laughs> um, or on my phone. But where were we? We were talking about the movie starting off in that first person. Right. So yeah, and at the the very first scene, uh, the doctor comes in, and you can see the doctor talking to to Jean, and he's asking Jean to say his own name. And you hear John speaking and then the doctor's responding like, uh, don't worry about it. Like, um, it takes a little bit of time to, to get your speech down. Um, and it's weird because as the, like I knew that the movie was about stroke, but I'd never heard of locked in syndrome. So at the start I was like, oh, maybe he's just speaking really quietly, but that's not the case here. The idea is that even at the very first scene, John can't even comprehend the fact that he's not speaking um, the way that he thinks he is. Yeah. A little bit of a side note anyway, not really too relevant to 
Um, one thing I, I noticed as soon as he woke up, because the movie, movie pretty much commences, we've been talking for ages and we're only just talking about the start of the movie, but <laughs> uh, the movie commences with him kind of opening up his eyes in hospital. And you're John, so you're looking up at the doctor or the orderly or the nurse and the screen fades in, fades out. He sees a nurse reaching over, fades in, fades out. See someone else connecting something up, fades in, fades out. And that just reminded me of something that I've been told a few times about uh, when people have their uh, a stroke or some kind of, you know, acquired or traumatic brain injury. Uh, usually you don't remember, like you have a traumatic amnesia in a way. So a lot of people will not even remember some, like maybe a few days leading up to the stroke. Some people don't remember two, three months after having the stroke. And then, you know, you get filled in later on by your family. It's like, yeah, you're acting a little bit funny there for a while or like whatever it is, but people just literally, the mind just gaps and you, and memories often something that's affected as well as speech and swallowing. Yeah. Well, just on the memory, like this movie uh, made me think about that a little bit more because I hadn't really had those conversations with my clients before in terms of the memory loss. But then I started asking those questions because I'm nosy. Um, But yeah, it was pretty (laughs) interesting to hear about people. Like I had one client tell me that they actually remember having the stroke and then there's just like this 40 day gap of absolutely nothing, which is crazy because they're in and out of consciousness. I believe, mm. well, I mean, not everybody, but like yeah. she, as far as she's aware, was in and out of consciousness, consciousness during that time, but still there's a 40 day gap. So that's significant. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And it's such, that'd be so, it would be terrifying. Yeah. Well, I mean, to 40 days like is a that long time. Be, if you imagine if you were out for six days, right, let's just throw a number out, six days. Imagine if you were just out for six days. The Broncos could lose two games of football in six days. <laughs> in six days. With the right schedule. Very possible. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> but just that amount of time, it's like, what happened? You know, if you go out on a night and you can't remember six hours. like That's my worst fear. Horrible. Exactly. because <laughs> yeah, I know what I've done, <laughs> but I don't. It's just nothing's good. <laughs> Nothing good has happened. Um, yeah, so just that'd be terrifying to... To be in, just to lose memory, lose, you know, but going back to the speech and the swallowing. So obviously Jean has lost the, he has dysphagia and dysphagia. So one's swallowing, one's speech. And he's lost the ability to, you know, form words and use his tongue to, you know, create sounds and um, uh, use his voice box or project air out of his lungs properly to create sounds and also can't control his tongue to swallow as well, which is huge for being able to move into self feeding and obviously talking to people. And really common. I hadn't heard of speech therapists all that much. I mean, obviously I'd heard of speech therapists before, but I didn't really know how often they were used and they're a big part of rehabilitation yeah. for a lot of injuries, especially Integral. stroke. Yeah. Oh, massively. Yeah. yeah your tongue's not just about speaking. Um, yeah. yeah. Swallowing and eating, it becomes quite hard. I Huge. think actually he doesn't, I don't think at any point during the movie, does he eat for himself? They talk about getting to a point where he might be able to, but yeah. I don't think at any point during the film, yeah. he eats for himself. No. Remember when the doc, like the very first kind of scene, the same thing a few minutes in and the doctor, there's a doctor that comes in and says, oh, you're awake now and you'll be fine. 
Yeah. And you're like, if I'm reading this correctly, like, I don't know, like, what do you interpret as fine? You know, it's just, it was just like a really, it's like an overly optimistic doctor. And I've heard stuff like that before from people. Well, know? he also says, he, I, there's some line where he's like, yeah, think of me as your, as your friend. And like John's internal monologue, which I suppose has been heard by the audience, yeah. is like, just be a doctor. Yeah, like, exactly. Yeah. So we don't have a few friends. To which if you just told me that I was going to be fine when I couldn't oh. move my body or sense anything happening at all, uh, yeah, that wouldn't be the... You got you to gotta put it differently than that, surely. Yeah. You know, it's like, obviously you're not going to be, you don't say, you know, all the negatives, but you don't just come out and say blatant, you know. Yeah. Lies. Oh, we'll just wrap that one out, but you're all good, yeah. <laughs> Don't worry about it. Um, so, uh, yeah, so that same, like, the neurosurgeon thing. Uh, so that new, neurosurgeon comes in and says, you know, think of me as a friend. He's kind of giving the spiel. He's saying, oh, I'll say the things that other people don't want you to, uh, don't want to say. And I'll be, but, you know, we're friends, so I'll say it to you anyway. And he's just, like, doing this monologue pretty much because John can't talk back. Jean can't talk back. And uh, I noticed that... I've heard of that stereotype before of this like egotistical, you know, enter the neuroscientist that comes in and like kicks down the door and just says yeah, like a few know. words. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and they kind of live on this level of their own. And I always thought that was a little bit of, you know, that's stereotypical and whatever. And then in the movie, I was like, oh, there it is right in front of me. So it's got to be some, and I'm not, you know, what neuroscientists do, obviously very important. I'm not trying to poo-poo all their, uh, that whole profession, obviously extremely smart people, but you know, definitely some stuff out there saying that they struggle with a bit of that bedside manner. So get it together. Neurosurgeons. <laughs> I hope you're watching. Um, like and subscribe. And <laughs> <laughs> um, I want to talk about, uh, we spoke about a, you know, a speech therapist and, and how they're involved to some extent. I want to talk about physiotherapists as well, because in the film, the two allied health professionals that you see um, or that are involved with Jean's rehabilitation is the speechy and the physio. Mm. Now, we will say right off the bat that in this particular case, as an EP, we literally have no role to play. If we saw Jean, we wouldn't have a role to play. Um, we certainly have a role to play in stroke, but if all motor and sensory function is gone... Um, so are we, I guess. We're yeah. out of a job there. Yeah, yeah. I think that's pretty fair. You know, until there's movement, we can't really do our job. Well, our job is to work in the body. And one thing that is uh, good about what we do is that any benefit that we're ever able to achieve with a client, I, the client has had to achieve for themselves because it's intrinsic. It's their body. Like they've done the yes. work to build the muscle. You can't. Yeah build muscle mass by just pushing somebody having, through a moat. Yeah, uh, having someone else do it for you. Yeah, you can certainly build function to some extent. There are reasons to, to yeah. move somebody passively, oh, but absolutely. overall, improved muscle function or improved muscle mass comes with muscle work. Yeah, innovation, um, firing, firing the muscle to contract. Yeah, and that is a lot of what we do in stroke, I guess, from a rehabilitation standpoint, is we try and rebuild the body so that it you know, can return to normal function or as close to normal function as you're going to get post damage to the brain hmm. or the central nervous system. I noticed as well, I think it was some, there was something mentioned in the movie where... Yeah, but have you ever heard of people's like characteristics, like character... 
the personality changes or the characteristic. But I always hear my clients say that they get told first that that's the case. They probably notice it themselves. I'm sure I've had clients that notice it themselves anyway. But to them, I feel like it's always reported to me as if it's a little bit less significant than say like, oh, my wife told me that I'm really different in this regard now. Yeah. Or my yeah. husband told me, whatever it may be. Yeah. I'm def- I've definitely heard before, you know, oh, I've talked to my family and they said that, you know, I'm, I'm, I get really frustrated really quickly now or I'm just really blasé about everything now where that's just a big character jump so and where we come in we're always there after the fact so we don't know that person beforehand we only know the person that's in front of us so it's always interesting to think what would you have been what would you have been like if i met you before yeah the injury you know yeah it's funny because i see a lot of clients as well that recover quite well uh from their stroke which i don't know if we've touched on yet but stroke rehabilitation it's not the be all and end all like i said there's the difference between cell death and cell damage cell damage you can recover from so somebody may have a stroke and then return to completely normal function or to a point where if you walk past them on the street you certainly would have no idea that that person is a stroke victim yeah Um, yeah 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 and a lot of the clients that we see, not necessarily through stroke alone, but aneurysm, brain injury, whatever it may be, um, you meet them and you're like, you know what, if I saw you on the street, I would have no idea. They'll tell you they notice a huge difference, but you would never notice a huge difference having met them after the fact. It's such a massive array. Brain injury can be... That's why it's you know interesting for us to work with is because... It can be, it can be, it varies so much. It varies. It literally could be the goals for someone can be so different, just like so many other neurological conditions, you know, like same name of the condition. I have had a stroke so different in the presentation in front of you. So it's, it's interesting for us to kind of work on that stuff. So going back to the movie, He's getting like a hands and his feet stretched right, in the hospital. I started this point and then I went away from it with my own words. Yeah. Can you <laughs> explain what a physio's role is? We spoke about a speechy in terms of um, swallowing tug movement. And that's like the, the foundation of where they begin, I guess. But a yep. physio. Well, a, a physio essentially will take over the duties of manual, like manipulation of the body. So whether it be massage or stretching or pressure pointing or, you know, just lengthening or shortening muscles by actually touching the person. That's a big difference between us and physios. Like we don't, you know, we will stretch someone, you know, sometimes if that's a a necessary thing. But a lot of the time in our sessions, the person's doing all the work, as you said before, and a physio and in this movie, the physios are stretching out the digits or the hands, the fingers, uh, the feet and the toes to stop contracture or that tightening up of the fists. Right. So, hands. yeah, explain from a gross uh, standpoint, um, as in G-R-O-S-S, is that the only way to spell gross? Yeah, <laughs> you. Um, <laughs> what would happen if you were not, utilizing a physiotherapist after but taking the example of Jean, uh, if there wasn't a physio involved and there was no physical manipulation and that from that standpoint, what happens to Jean's body? Well, this is all speculation because I'm not a physio and I haven't worked in a hospital, but if you're not, you know, continually maintaining someone's body, it's going to cause dysfunction down the track. So 
if those hands do fully by stretching often you lengthen the you know the muscle fibers and what that does is because the body wants to continually shorten them until they're so short you can't open your fists anymore so what you're doing is just every day not allowing that process to take place because if you do get a closed fist and we've talked about this before in other uh, in other podcasts you know you can get rot underneath the skin and then that can cause a lot of different issues down the path uh, down the track uh, same thing with the feet like you'll never be able to really they'll curl right up and then what's the chance of you walking again you know it's just become that more, more that much more difficult get back up on your feet. So if you don't have a physio there, you're much more likely prone to physical dysfunction down the track. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, another rehabilitation um, tool that they use uh, is they also use a tilt table, which I first saw on Prac, um, where, and it was basically being used, I think for the most part, obviously it was number, a tilt table is basically you get strapped in uh, and then it tilts that's where they got the name from, uh, which allows someone to work in an upright position. So if somebody isn't able to, uh, I suppose, adequately control their lower limbs or their posture to a point of standing, support their own weight, a tilt table then becomes relevant. So it might be for bone loading just to get a little bit of weight through the legs because uh, you're trying to avoid things like osteoporosis. Mm-hmm. They don't really say specifically why they have Jean in a tilt table in the movie, but I would say it's probably for those things. Yep. Bone loading. Um, circulation. Actually, yeah. Um, uh, circulation has a lot of different things. Like your skin integrity after a while can get worse and worse and pretty much you can get sores very easily. And if you don't have sensation, you can get bed sores. And we've talked about bed sores before where, and they can really just like knock people out essentially. Um, and also just you know, working with a lot of people who have spinal cord injuries or paralysis, having someone standing again after not standing for a while, it's a huge mental benefit, huge. You can see it in their faces straight away. You know, it's just, you don't know what it's like to be at everyone's navel height all the time, unless you're there in that, you know, using that chair every day. So just getting up to, eye height with someone else is a huge mental uh, benefit. Yeah. Well, maybe I'll start using a tilt table to give me an extra <laughs> foot or two. You need a big tilt table, buddy. <laughs> Mr. Short Stack over here. Actually, um, you mentioned um, skin integrity, which has taken my mind slightly. But do you remember there's a scene in this film where uh, like John's shaving his father's face and yes. they like throw the sound effects in. It has nothing to do with uh, like what we're talking about in the podcast, but it is one of the worst movie scenes I've ever watched <laughs> in my life. Just an account of like, the, it was like listening to somebody like scrape a chalkboard. It yeah. hurt me that much, yeah. but I couldn't just like look away. You got to, I remember thinking, sharpen that razor up. It was like he then he bad. stops shaving his face and then he goes over to the butter tray and like gets some butter and spreads it on toast. I'm like, yeah, that sounds about right. <laughs> you know, that's horrible. He didn't, but I wouldn't be surprised. Um, yeah. So the, oh, I've actually got another thing. You remember he sewed the eye shut? 
Yeah, yeah. That was pretty crazy. That uh, was pretty crazy. And that happens early into the film as well. Again, we don't really know about timeline there, but they <laughs> say that it's to avoid the eye becoming septic. Yeah, well, it was definitely something some, some to do with the irritation of that eye and then that causing problems down the track. So the, the shot of that, you remember looking out from yeah, you know, the, do the windows of yeah. Jean's soul and then you could see your eyelid getting the pin needle through the bottom, through the top, and then stitched through. I wonder how they did that. Yeah, it was horrific. It's also 50% of what Jean has left at this point with respect to his, uh, well, I mean, excluding his cognitive capacity. But yeah, they take that away, which is is pretty crazy. It's crazy. Pretty crazy. And we haven't even spoken about the fact that... um, a big part of this film, like I said, Harry, or like Harry said, is based on a true story. It's actually based off a book that uh, the real Jean, who's also named Jean, uh, wrote. Now, how did he do that if he's not able to speak and he's not able to write? So there's like this whole process, which actually does make up so much of the film, um, which is him learning to communicate using like a blinking um, modality. I don't know what the word would be, but yeah. Uh, so essentially they go through the like most common letters of the alphabet. Jean will blink um, when you hit the, the letter and somebody will scribe. Yep. And, and they go through the alphabet in the most common uh, letters. Yeah. So it's, it's in French. So it's something like A, E, R, Vite? Yeah, S, I don't know. whatever. Some weird. Um, if I could speak French, I would love to. Recite it to you. Local couche accessoire. <laughs> Does that mean something to do with like going shopping? Ah, uh, yeah. Does it? Yeah, in bed tonight. Oh, yeah. okay. Thank gosh. I, I think it actually does translate to will you sleep with me tonight? Oh. Yeah. If what you're a, French or just looking for a partner, such <laughs> send a, it in. <laughs> such a French song. Yeah. It's a good song. Like, of course, a French song. Doesn't get a play in this film. I don't know if there was oh. a point in this film where. No. No, no, no. Is it just called so. the Moulin Rouge song? I don't know. Yeah, probably. Is that Christine Aguilera? Yeah, there's a few of them. I'm pretty sure Pink's in that. Oh, wow. Missy Elliott. Let's get back on topic. <laughs> yeah, wait, no, let's talk about Missy Elliott. So, Missy. Right. Um, <laughs> so, one thing that happened in the movie as well is that he, when the physio, I think it's the physio because the physio is going over tongue shapes, trying to get him to mimic a tongue shape. And... She brings down a mirror in front of him and the internal monologue of Jean says, get that mirror away from me. I don't want to look at myself. You know, I don't like, I don't want to see the person in the mirror pretty much. And that's something I've noticed that I, you know, working in a a clinic where there was a lot of people with, well, everyone had a disability of some description. A lot of people did not like, there were no mirrors anywhere in this clinic except for portable ones. And a lot of people did not like looking into the mirrors. I, I distinctly remember, you know, early on in my um, career, uh, a lady who had, you know, ataxia after having a stroke, so very shaky movements and, uh, you know, blind in one eye and had that uh, that one side um, uh, paraplegia, but had got some movement back on, on both sides, but very shaky movements. Like if you got to pick up this mug, it would be everywhere. So that's just to show you how different a stroke could be. Um, and I brought, pulled in the mirror because I wanted her to unlock one knee and then at the same time, uh, and then switch over transition, unlock the other knee. And it was just something really simple like that. Brought the mirror in front 
and it was like, you know, she, she just like kind of blew up. It's like someone just threw holy water on her and she was the devil, you know, it was just like, ah, get another one. And, you know, and she's Hispanic. So it was like more, um, you know, <laughs> yeah. expressive anyway. It was more holy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And, uh, yeah, and she just, yeah, she went, no, 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 I don't want to look at myself. I don't want to look in the mirror. Uh, that's not me. That's not me. She was saying, and I was thinking, wow, that's interesting. So what I did is just like tilt the mirror down to look at her legs. But yeah, it's just something. And I've, I've noticed other people say something like just, and I know people, you know, years on in their injury as well, um, after their injury, I should say, also mention the same things. Like, I don't want to, I don't want to look at myself in the mirror. Like if I have to, I will, but I don't want to look at myself in the mirror. Well, there is obviously a big separation between, well, especially how some people view their injury, which is pre-injury, post-injury. And that's like, it's like a defining point in their life. Yeah. Um, and there's a, there's a theme in the film, which is Jean's, um, like there's like this very expressive grief in terms of his uh, inability to fulfill like his familial role uh, or like his occupational role. Like he is, not portrayed like it's a true story but prior to his injury he looked like he lived like a pretty enjoyable life mm. um and he has kids and yeah i think he has a wife i don't know if it's an ex-wife it's hard to get the relationship down yeah he's got a he's got a mistress and a wife or something like that i don't know yeah i don't really yeah but um i suppose that's another side of it where yeah you sort of it's it's hard to well it might be hard to fathom what it was that you were doing before your injury. Yeah. Um, it doesn't always work that way. I actually find that a lot of my clients get this really, um, like it's, they have like a really nice way of reflecting on their lives beforehand and then like almost using it as a tool to take another step forward mm. and how they live the rest of their life. So mm. it certainly does. It's not all bad. There are people no. that sort of have an injury and then they take accountability for their health, I guess, which is yeah, one yeah. benefit of things. Good point actually. Yeah. Yeah. Really good point. Yeah, it's it would be just like, you know, looking into if you, you and I woke up in the morning, looked in the mirror and it's just someone else staring back at them. Yeah, I can know? I sorry, just because I feel like I didn't make this clear enough, but I I certainly wasn't suggesting that if you have a stroke you're no longer under uh, able to like undertake your your family role or your occupational role in this context <laughs> life gets a bit hard good save AJ. Uh, yeah but i was like did i say that properly um i think you said that i thought it was fine man cool. all right well yeah. then back to you then uh i can't remember what i was saying but oh yeah it's just like looking in the mirror like it's someone else looking back at you and that's you know it's terrifying it'd be terrifying again i'm using that word again but yeah just it would be a really you know, and you, you're thinking back like that was my life. My life was going so well. And then this happened, you know, this catastrophic injury happened and now I have to live my life like this. So, you, you know, you can definitely empathize with people why that would be an issue for them. And certainly it would probably be for me as well if it happened. Yeah. Yeah. It would be, it would be a massive, I was going to say learning curve, but life curve. Yes. Life yeah. curve. Yeah. yeah. Um, so one thing that happened in the movie is there's like a scene where he's on the tilt table and a fly lands on Sean's nose and he, in his internal monologue, he's thinking, get this fly off my nose, get this fly off my nose. And he happens to shift his head to the right and the fly flies away. And, you know, the physio and the speech pathologist see it and go, oh my God, you're getting moving back. That's great. You know, it's a little victory and everyone's, you know, excited. 
And then he's going through this function or this uh, process with the physio that we use a lot. And that, the, that this uh, process is complete assistance to heavy resistance. So as long as you have like complete assistance, Wait, so what? So like you have to completely assist that movement. Oh, sorry, complete assistance. Assistance, gotcha, yeah. yeah. To then, you know, transition to heavy I resistance. you said complete resistance. Like you're just holding Jean's head against the tilt table. Do it. <laughs> yeah. You're not doing it properly. Stop blowing a whistle at him and stuff. With my camo pants and... <laughs> <laughs> that's not what we do guys just in case this is like your first time you're tuning in i don't even own a whistle yeah. anymore <laughs> <laughs> that part of my life is gone um yeah so it, from complete assistance like helping someone completely say let's just break it down as a really easy example someone sitting down on a chair and lifting their leg up right so at the start of their injury, say they've lost the ability to do that, they still have the ability to activate the muscle belly, but it's just so the signal's either very weak or the contraction's too weak to lift the weight of the leg. So you've just got to start from complete assistance, so assisting them to do that movement, work them through that continually, try and get them to target and um, making making sure they're turning on that muscle while you're moving the leg and assisting and just doing that more and more and more and then assisting less and less and less over time. Because with neuro uh, rehab, it's just volume, volume and quality of the movement. If you can get that like meaningful movement where they're turning on the muscle and you're lifting the leg at the same time and you're doing it again and again and again, that's meaningful. And that you can build their blocks that you're going to build on until you get to the point where, oh my God, they can now sit there, you know, however long this will take and lift their leg again. Uh, now what you're thinking is, okay, it's great. They can lift their leg, but that's about it. So now you've got to start adding resistance to that movement. So you put a little ankle weight on them or you apply weight with your hands. They've got to try and kick through your hands. Now you're focusing on building the muscle. Uh, and that's something that happens in the movie with the, with the physio, with the head movement, just moving the head to the right. And the internal monologue is something that I've heard before as well, where he says, Oh, but you're doing it all, you know, that's, it's just something I've definitely heard before when you're in that initial stage where you're just saying, you're just trying to get someone on focusing on turning something on and you're doing that complete assistance movement just to try and help the brain remap and think, okay, when I turn this muscle on that leg moves, you know, muscle on leg moves, muscle on, and you're just trying to remap, 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 because there might be damage and it is obviously damage in the brain or that signal going down and you have to give it another pathway and the brain's so malleable it can learn and find different ways to turn on different signals cool mm. yeah well said mm. i wonder if like obviously they talk about like kids uh like in the neuroplasticity that kids have i wonder mm. then if a kid is more likely i mean you don't really see kids suffering strokes all the time but I wonder if they're more likely then to develop an, a different neural pathway after an injury. Man, that makes complete sense to me. Yeah. If if that is true, I would not be surprised. And it's really easy to learn things as a kid, as or like, <clears throat> or even relearn things as a kid, because you don't have this, you don't have anything in your head already trying to figure out. You're not trying to remember the old way of doing something. You're just trying to do something for the first time. Yeah. So you're not fighting this. <clears throat> 
old habit that you had or habit or whatever you want to call it and trying to learn something new. You're just trying to learn something new. So I usually find with kids that they learn a lot faster. Yeah, they definitely do. It's yeah. like a thing in general. Yeah. And I'm the opposite of the, of the spectrum. If you ever watch me play golf, you'll be like, unlock yourself, buddy. Not yet, buddy. <laughs> yeah. You and I are hitting the green. Yeah, soon. no, but you're right. But like the, our body or like my mind or an adult's mind is sort of like, well, I know something that is similar. So I'm going to try and lock into this way of doing things. And, you know, you have to be malleable. Anyway, we're getting off topic anyway. Anyway, we're getting off topic anyway. <laughs> Um, did you have anything else that you really wanted to bring up about the movie? I'm not, uh, maybe how the diving bell was an analogy for his paralysis. That was oh, pretty yeah. cool. That was cool. So, you know, there's plenty of things we are movie- missing from this movie. I guess we're talking more about our experiences and it's very hard for us to relate. And we didn't really, obviously we didn't watch this movie. No, know this movie before we were going to do it. So yeah, we didn't know we were walking into locked-in syndrome. Yeah, yeah, so we didn't know that was going to happen. So it's hard for us to relate exactly to the movie because, as AJ said, in this situation, we're really not we're not doing a whole lot like in this story that's told. Um, but you know, the diving bell and the butterfly. So the diving bell, you know, is like an old diving suit where you're just kind of sinking down to the the bottom of the ocean pretty much with an oxygen tube attached to you and you're just in this you know suit pretty much and that's a really interesting and obviously poetic way of describing his paralysis he's locked in his own body it feels like he's in a diving bell sinking to the bottom of the ocean uh, and also you know there was also the, the butterfly was like an analogy for who he used to be because his partner always used to met, like call him her butterfly. There's also a reference to his kids being the butterfly. Really? At some point at the very end. Okay. Or I think like the book itself, like, you know how at the start of the book, it always gives that little like thing, like this is who I've written this for. Yes. Like his kids. And then it says something about his kids. being My butterflies. Butterfly, yeah. Which is cute. That makes more sense actually. Yeah. Cool. I mean, I don't know. I, there was definitely two sides to the analogy within the film itself. I don't think it just had to do with his kids. Yeah. Yeah. One more thing I actually wanted to pick on, uh, pick on before we left is there's a scene in the movie where these two handymen come into the um, hospital Ooh, yeah. room and they walk in and they're like, oh, knock on the door and there's Jean just in his bed, one eye open, just looking at him because he can't communicate and them saying, hey, did you order this phone? You know, this phone connected is you know you throw on this phone in and he's just sitting there and they're like hey buddy i think he does try blinking i think he is like yeah he's trying to communicate somehow and then the speech pathologist comes through and says you know who let you in like you should have waited for someone else to come in here because you know he needs to be able to communicate he needs me here to he me here to communicate and then straight away the you know, the questions that the handymen are asking are for Jean, but they're asking the speech therapist and, you know, and they're, they're, they're not, they don't seem like the nicest people in the world. The two, um, they the certainly make men. light of the situation. Yeah. hundred yeah. percent, which I suppose is not really the situation when you make life. All. It's funny because Jean ends up laughing at the joke that he makes about at Jean, him, yeah. but I think I know where you're going with this. Yeah. And I, I, it's when pretty much what the speech therapist says, don't speak to, don't speak like he's not in the room. So they've just directed their everything towards her. 
And there's John Lee. What's he, you know? One of the best bits of advice that I have ever gotten, I think. It, luckily, I got it before the movie itself. But yeah, you, you certainly build a lot more rapport with your clients if you speak of them. Yes. As if you're speaking to them. Yeah. Um, and so it might be like, if a support worker asks how, let's call it Jean, mm. went in his session today and Jean's sitting right there, you won't just be like, well, he did pretty well and blah, blah. You'll be like, well, Jean, we did, uh, what did we do today? We did blah, blah, blah. And you, mm. you try and engage them as much as possible. Yeah. yeah, um, yeah. You, get, you get a better response that way. Yeah. I mean, it's like talk to that person. And if someone needs to chime in to fill in the gaps, good. But always address the person you're talking to, even if they do have some kind of language barrier or whatever. You don't have to, you know, keep your eyes on the person, connect with that person. You don't have to redirect what you're doing. If it makes you feel uncomfortable, it's something you need to learn to do a bit more. But, you know, if someone needs to come in and help you out with communication, you know, surely someone will. If you need to direct somewhere else, you can do that. But it's always good practice to engage with the person you're talking to, even if they have communication barriers. Definitely. Uh, and one more thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just, no, I just want to say that, you know, really reiterate that there are so many different types of stroke. You know, there's the lady I was talking about before who has the very shaky movement uh, and on both sides of the body. There's another client of mine who has, you know, weakness, you know, say 75% weakness in the arm, 25% weakness in the leg. Again, I'm being very global or general. Um, and speech is fine. Memory is fine. I've got another client who has really good physical function, but still has slurred speech and memory issues. I have another client who has literally no symptoms, doesn't seem like they have any symptoms besides sometimes they say to you, oh yeah, memory's not exactly what it used to be, but they definitely see like, seem like they're going all right. And then you've got Jean who's got locked in syndrome, which is just a massive, you know, on the other end of the spectrum of stroke. But they're all stroke victims. But they're all stroke victims. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, if anything, it's good to know that stroke is variable and no two people are the same. And yeah. Yeah. And usually we'll talk about how well the, uh, the disability is represented in the film. Again, this is such a high level of strike um, that it's hard for us to speak from personal experience, but I even still just with our knowledge of strike itself and how the body may be affected. I, I actually think that it, it was well acted. Like it was a really good job, even the, the facial expression and I thought um, it was actually a very good movie. Yeah. Like if we're putting down our rating right now, I think it was, you know, a, I don't know, like a B plus type movie. Ooh, yeah. And that's high. That's high, yeah. you know, in terms of our rating. I'll see we're, anything above a B minus. We're sticklers, you know. <laughs> yeah. Um, but <laughs> it really, the film showed a unique but extreme perspective. Yeah. And as long as you understand that, you're good. You'd figure it out straight away again. Like I said, you wouldn't, I mean, if you showed... If you were showed the film and you weren't told at any point that that was just a stroke, you'd be like, what is, what's going on here? Like, what's this going to go on? Because it's not what you know of as a stroke. I had no idea strokes got to this point. Um, not that I'm the encyclopedia of, <laughs> of all things medical, but yeah, it was, it was interesting. It was, it was a good film. 
Well acted. Um, yeah. So, Encyclopedia is French for encyclopedia. Or? Uh, I think I may be quoting How About Your Mother. <laughs> encyclopedia. <laughs> That's Italian. Yeah. And on that note. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you very much for joining us again. You guys have been great. We really appreciate you, um, your feedback because we know what's coming. Um, <laughs> I've been AJ. And I'm still Harry. Still Harry. We are B-Physiology. Cheers. Have a good night. Yeah. You're listening to Be Real, Series 1 of the Unaware Podcast. I feel like I'm more aware now.